are you afraid of the dark? Cartoonist Johnny Hawkins has a cartoon where he shows a mom putting the little boy to bed. And the little boy says, Mom, can you leave the light on? It's really hard to sleep with the darkness shining right in my eyes. Now, on the opposite side of that fence, Chuck Norris is not afraid of the dark. All right? The dark is afraid of Chuck Norris. This is true. This is fact. You can see this anywhere. But you may not be Chuck Norris, and maybe you are afraid of the dark. And if so, be of good cheer. It's estimated that 11% of Americans are afraid of the dark. Now, if my math is right, and if you know me, that's a really big if. If my math is right, I think that means about 5 to 10 people in this room are truly uh, gripped with a fear of the dark. It's something that captivates them. Alicia Clark is a clinical psychologist in Washington, D.C. About a year ago, she said this in an article. Darkness impairs our vision. We aren't afraid so much of the dark as we are afraid of what is in the dark that we can't see. See, we're, we're all tempted to be afraid of that which we can't see. We might have a little bit of fear because we can't see what the stock market's going to do. We can't see what we might owe on our taxes. We can't see what our ACT or our SAT scores are going to be. We, we can't see if we're going to get into that college. We can't see if we're going to get that job. We can't see if we're going to have money for retirement. We might have a little bit of fear about the person that our, our kids or our grandkids are going to marry one day. We might have all kinds of, of fear that, that drives us to be a little uncomfortable and a little uneasy. We might have a, a fear that the waitress is going to come over to us in the restaurant and she's going to walk over and she's going, I'm really sorry we're all out of broccoli today. What I meant to say is bacon, not broccoli, but, you know. We have fears in life, things that grip us. You might have some fear about speaking in public. You might have some fear of, of flying in an airplane. You might have some fear about paying your bills. You might have some fear about the direction of our nation. You might have some fear about the results from the doctor. And why? It's because we can't see. We can make some guesses on everything from our health to retirement, but, but, but there's still guesses. We might have a little bit of fear because we can't see what's ahead. We just don't have that ability. But what if we weren't talking about marriage or kids or getting a job or retirement or test results from a doctor? What if the, the thing that we can't see is more important than that? What if the thing we can't see has a greater impact than that? What if the, the thing that we can't see actually controls and defines your very soul? That's a different kind of can't see. So what kind of can't see is that? Well, let's find out. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. About 700 years before Jesus was born, he inspired the prophet Isaiah to write down an Easter sermon for him. Now, how in the world could he do that? How, how can 700 years before he was born inspire Isaiah to write down an Easter sermon. Well, this is how. 
This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is able to to write down a sermon 700 years before he was born because Jesus is God. Now somebody might say, eh, maybe he was just saying that, you know. Maybe he didn't mean it. Anybody can say something like that and not be true. Maybe he was just kidding around when he said that. Okay, listen to what happened next right after he said that. John 10, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You know, when I'm kidding around, I'm looking for a few laughs. (laughs) I'm not looking for a few stones to be thrown at my head in an attempt to be murdered, right? So common sense and cultural history and biblical history would say to us that it seems a bit irrational to say that Jesus would casually say that he is God just for the fun of it. Now that seems a little out of place. Somebody else might say, okay, fine, but but why should I believe Jesus is God just because some page in the Bible, some sentence in this book says that it's true? French mathematician and physicist Blaise Pascal once wrote this about the truths of the Bible. The prophecies, the very miracles and proofs of our religion are not of such a nature that they can be said to be absolutely convincing, but they are also of such a kind that it cannot be said that it is unreasonable to believe them. In in other words, the gospel is not meant to be a mathematical equation, but it is not a fairy tale. Ray Ortland says this about reading the Bible. The Bible is closed to those who are blind, and there are none so blind as those confident in their own understanding. The Bible is open to those who are open, and there are none so open as those desperate in their need. He goes on, in both cases, how people experience the Bible reveals the truth about themselves, but no one defeats the Bible. So if you're blind to your constant need for God, then the Bible might just be this quaint piece of history to you. Or if you're not aware of your constant need for God, then the Bible might be a book that you hate and you rail against and and you just despise. But either way, those are reflections of your heart. They're not reflections of the Bible itself. But on the other hand, if you do see your constant need for God, then the Bible becomes a book that keeps pointing you over and over and over again to the treasure of knowing Jesus. And part of that treasure is that Jesus is God. He's God. But why does that matter? I mean, big deal. Why does it matter that Jesus is God? The late Scottish theologian T.F. Torrance said this, If Jesus Christ is man only and not also God, then we lose faith in God and man. It's a huge statement, right? If Jesus is not God, then we lose faith in God and we lose faith in man. Well, how? If Jesus is not God, then why would we lose faith in God? Torrance says, We lose faith in God because we could not believe in a God who allows the best man that ever lived to be hounded to death on the cross. Now, we couldn't believe in a God like that. 
Okay, so if Jesus is not God, then, then why would that cause us to lose faith in man? Torrance says this, for that means that man is such that when he sees the very best, the very highest and noblest the world has ever known, he crucifies it in spite and will have nothing to do with it except to hate it. See, if Jesus is not God, we do lose faith in God. We do lose faith in man because how else could any of this come to pass? Torrance goes on, Put God in heaven and Jesus, a man only on the cross, and you destroy all hope and trust and preach a doctrine of the blackest and most abysmal despair. But put God on the cross, and the cross becomes the world's salvation because death could not hold him. He says this, all the gospel rests upon the fact that it is God who became incarnate, and it was God who in Christ has reconciled the world to himself. Listen, if Jesus is not God, then everything we have done here this morning, the baptisms, the songs, the prayers, the preaching, everything, the fact that this building even exists, all of that is a big, fat lie if Jesus is not God. And every person in every church around the world today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, they are fools believing in a, fil- a very silly fairy tale just because they're afraid of the dark. But here's the thing. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. This story of Jesus is true because Jesus is God. And 700 years before he was born, he made sure that we got a message of hope, real satisfying hope. And it's a message that is still giving hope today. Why? Because it's no longer just a written down message. See, Jesus has has lived out, he's carried out this sermon. And because he's lived out and carried out this sermon, this sermon still has power. This sermon from Jesus, what he said about himself, is still saving people today. So what is this sermon about? Well, it says that Jesus is anointed to do something. He's set apart for something. What is he set apart to do? Well, the last few weeks we've been looking at the first three parts of this. Jesus was set apart to preach good news to those who are poor and afflicted. He was set apart to to mend up and heal the brokenhearted. He was also set apart so that he would proclaim liberty to captives. And then there's a fourth thing he was set apart to do. Listen to verse 1 again of Isaiah 61. He was set apart to proclaim freedom to prisoners. The language here is is not like taking handcuffs off of a prisoner. No, the language is is more like a prisoner of war who's been in an underground dungeon for years and years, and he's finally released. He's never seen the light, and he finally sees the light. It's not somebody being released from Folsom County Prison. No, this is the promise of freedom to someone who is in deep, desperate darkness. It's not just that they are afraid of the dark. It's that the dark is suffocating their soul. In other words, what this is a picture of is someone who is a prisoner to sin. 
Someone who's a a prisoner to the fact that their words and their deeds and their thoughts and their attitudes fall short of the perfect love and perfect glory and perfect holiness of God. It's someone who is a, a prisoner to the penalty of sin, a penalty that in a sense meets every person when they breathe their last and it either immediately passes over or it immediately latches on forever. This prisoner described here is someone who has no hope in this world and no hope in the world to come. And here's the worst part. It describes a prisoner who is blind to all of this. That they're blind to the reality of their soul. They're they're blind to the dead, dark condition of their own very soul. Charles Spurgeon said this, If it is something from without that blinds me, I may recover. But if it is something from within which shuts out the light, who is he who can restore my vision? That's a fair question, right? I mean, who who can get inside of our soul and take darkness away? Take take a dark, dead soul and and bring light to that soul. Who could possibly do that? I I can't. (laughs) You can't. But there is one who can He's the anointed one. He's the one who was set apart. He's the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the risen Savior. See, Jesus can. He was set apart not just to proclaim freedom. He was set apart to bring freedom to the darkest night and the darkest soul. It's who he is. Theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking died three weeks ago. For more than 50 years, ALS just paralyzed his body, but that did not keep him from making significant contributions in the areas of physics and astronomy and math. I've shared the following thoughts with you before, but with his death, these thoughts carry a a sadder and more disturbing tone. This is what he said about seven years ago. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. It's been said that an ancient apprentice would would hold a candle so that the more experienced professional worker could do the work. And so I would dare say that I am not even able to hold a candle to, to the work that Dr. Hawking did. However, because of historical truth and biblical truth about Jesus of Nazareth, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit around that historical and biblical truth, I offer a gracious set of questions to those who would say that God and His ways are just nothing more than a fairy story. Is it possible that just like a computer, a person's disregard for the one true sovereign God might quit working and one day fail? Is it possible that there really is an afterlife that's owned by the one true sovereign God? And is it possible that if someone is believing in the gospel, that they're believing in the gospel because they used to be afraid of the light? In other words, if someone were to say to us, oh, the resurrection of Jesus, you're a fool to believe that. The gospel of Jesus, you're a fool to believe that. 
anything about Jesus. You're, you're a fool to follow after him. Okay. If someone is to say that people who follow Jesus are only following Jesus because they think it's a fairy story that helps them because they're afraid of the dark. Could you at least say that it is possible that people who reject Jesus reject Jesus because they are afraid of the light? Perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible is John 3.16. goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Two sentences later, Jesus said this. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What does that judgment mean? Jesus tells us, next verse. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. I mean, really, is this what any of us teach our kids and our grandkids? Love darkness, love evil. I mean, do any of us teach that? Why in the world would anyone love darkness and love evil? Well, Jesus tells us, next sentence. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Do you hear that? See, it's not that a person's afraid of the dark. They're afraid of the light because the light exposes us for who we really are. But, but you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we just get through saying that these prisoners, they didn't even know about their souls? That they didn't know about the darkness of their soul? How, how can you not know? How can you be blind to the darkness of your condition and then also reject that which brings light at the same time? How, how does that work? It seems like those don't go together. Well, what did Jesus say? The prisoner rejects the light because they love the darkness more than the light. All right, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, if a prisoner of war is in an underground dungeon for years and years, they don't love the dark. They long for the light. They don't love the dark. So, so how can we make sense of any of this? Well, it's because we're talking about faith sight, not eyesight. And that's different. Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, like many people around the world today. He didn't believe and the reason he didn't believe is because he had not seen the risen Jesus yet. But then after he saw the risen Jesus, this is what Jesus said to him. John 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. It's great. Blessed and happy to be envied is the person who has faith sight. John Bloom says this, those who believe in Jesus in this age, let's just say today, are more blessed than those who have seen him. Why? Because believing is true seeing. And it is faith sight, not eyesight, that results in eternal life. Life comes not by those things that we see with our physical eyes, but what God allows us to see with the eyes of our heart. John Bloom goes on to say, eyesight was never a guarantee that people really saw Jesus. 
Judas was the greatest witness to this tragic truth. So how's your faith sight today? How's your faith sight? Believing is true seeing. So do you believe in Jesus? Are you believing in and trusting in and relying on and and clinging to Jesus as your only and ultimate source of salvation? Do you believe in Jesus as the only way that the penalty of death immediately passes over when we breathe our last? John was the cousin of Jesus. John preached about the Messiah for years and years and years. He was not an an Easter Sunday only Christian by any means. John was dialed in 24 hours, seven days a week. He was all about the message of the gospel, the message of repentance and salvation. But one day his preaching got him in some trouble. He got thrown in jail. And after he had been in jail for about a year, he was discouraged. He started thinking to himself, man, what? what am I doing here? Man, has is, is this all just been some kind of joke? Has, has my life just been some big lie? Have I been wasting my life? Have I been believing in a fairy story? And so he asked a couple of his friends to go find Jesus and ask Jesus a question. And this was the question. Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Jesus, John wanted us to come and ask you, are you really the guy that Isaiah wrote about or or is this not the real thing? He wanted us to come ask if if this is all just a sham, you're just trying to help some people who are afraid of the dark. He wanted us to come find out, do we need to all go look for someone else to follow? And what does Jesus say? (laughs) He says nothing. (laughs) He says nothing. Why? Why would Jesus do that? I mean, doesn't he know how discouraged John is? He's, he's in prison. He's feeling like his, his life is a joke. His life is a lie. Why wouldn't Jesus try to encourage John a little bit? You ever had a day like that? You ever had a day where you thought, you know, Jesus, he's a pretty neat guy for Easter Sunday and, and maybe a few other Sundays, Christmas too. Yeah, but he can't really help me. Or maybe he just won't help me in the middle of the real things going on in my life. We've probably all had a day like that. Well, Jesus doesn't give an answer. In fact, he doesn't give an answer on purpose because he does not want his message to John to just be words. So these guys say to Jesus, are you really the one John wants to know? And it's almost like Jesus asked them just to kind of go sit over on a bench for a second. And then it seems that all the fireworks started. John chapter 7, verse 21. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. Undoubtedly, there was a crowd of people around Jesus. And some of those people, they were weighed down with disease, and weighed down with sickness, weighed down with evil spirits, weighed down with the fact that they physically could not see. And with just a touch, maybe just a wave of his hand, Jesus healed their sicknesses. Jesus drove out the evil spirits, and Jesus gave them sight. Jesus didn't say a a word to John's two friends, but what he did was loud and clear. They had a message to go back with. Yeah, John, he is the one. 
We were curious for a few seconds there, and then he kind of wiped that out of our minds. Max Licato tells the story of Bob Edens. Bob was completely blind for, for 51 years, and then a surgeon performed a very complicated surgery, and for the first time in his life, Bob was able to see. This is what Bob said about being able to see. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I am amazed by yellow, but red, red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars and the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. Bob had no hope of ever seeing yellow. He had no hope of ever seeing red. He had no hope of ever seeing a sunrise or a sunset. No hope. And then an operation changed everything. He went from darkness to seeing the wonderful, beautiful light of life. Those people standing around Jesus, they had no hope. They were done. The doctors, they'd already done all they could do. Those evil spirits, they weren't going anywhere. And they were blind. They were never going to see again. And then just in this one moment with Jesus, everything changed. Their sickness was healed. Their disease was healed. The evil spirits were forced out. And they were able to see. Now, does that mean that if you come to Jesus and you follow Jesus, that all of your sickness will go away and, and you'll never have any more nightmares? And if you're physically blind or if you're physically deaf or if you're physically crippled, that, that all of a sudden Jesus is going to heal you? No. And if anyone tells you different, they're a liar. No, to come to Jesus does not mean that every single thing in our life is going to go peachy. But there is something that happens when we come to Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he immediately and intensely and overpoweringly guaranteed the freedom that he bought on the cross. Jesus guaranteed freedom to prisoners in an instant when he left that tomb. If you're not a Christian, we want you to know that freedom is available to you right now. Please don't love the darkness. Don't. Repent and come to the light of the world. He gave his life for you so that the darkness of sin would not kill your soul forever. Come to him. Come to the light. And if you're a believer, if you're a true follower of Jesus, and, and maybe today you just feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, maybe right now you're just full of, of fear, of worry, of stress, of guilt, of anxiety, of, of anger, of apathy, maybe you're full of busyness, maybe you're full of the kind of insecurity that causes you to pick up your phone about every 20 seconds just to see if somebody would call you or text you or, or post something on social media that would make you feel some value. If that's you, 
then I want you to know something. That when Jesus rose from the grave, he overwhelmingly and overpoweringly guaranteed the freedom that he bought for you. You are right now free in Christ. And that can never change. But maybe you're not feeling it. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a little tired and worn out. Maybe you're having some temporary blindness today. If so, then let me just give you a few unique promises that for me are just screaming to us from the empty tomb. Paul Maxwell said this, God may not be blocked out on your calendar, but you are an all-day event on his. When we are blinded, he still sees us and pursues us and anoints us with his rest. That's why none of this is a fairy story. Because Jesus is raised from the grave. Listen, please, if you are a believer, rest in the resurrection today. Please rejoice in the resurrection today because the resurrection means that Jesus has truly set us free.